0: I believe in God, the father almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven
1: and sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's
0: universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's
2: worship.
3: truly you are a great god and there is none like you for who is like our god you deliver us when we call out you see us when we are in a pit and you hear us when we cry out to you god your strength is made perfect in our weakness for who is like our god compassionate Gracious, abounding in love, and you deserve all our praise, all of our devotion. God, forgive us when we put other things above you. Forgive us when we turn our hearts to other things and rend our hearts to you and you alone. Lord, this morning we come humbly before you. We are are a people here today in need of a savior. And what a Savior you are. We ask that your power would be manifest in this place. That we would see your power and your healing and your deliverance for the people here today. And that it wouldn't stay here, but it would trickle to the community in our community. Lord, change our hearts that we would be more like you. Lord God, I pray that we would be sensitive to your voice and your leading Give us wisdom and a revelation, a fresh revelation of you and who you are. Lord God, I pray for parents in this room. Give us wisdom for kids in this room, Lord, that their hearts would be for you. Please help us to forgive those who have hurt us, to love those who are unlovable, and to be giving to those who are in need. Lord, I pray that you would heal today those who need healing in their bodies, in their minds, in their hearts, those that are struggling in depression or anxiety. Lord God, I thank you that you would provide, and I ask that you would provide for those that are in financial distress today. Open doors for people who need new paths to open before them. Give direction to those searching for answers and freedom to those who are in addiction We magnify you, and we thank you, Lord, that you see us and you hear us. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody today.
2: Well, good morning again, and to those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us. We are glad that we are all here um, in body and spirit to worship together. If you are new here and you haven't um, met someone yet, we, I hope that you don't leave here without at least being greeted by someone or me- meeting someone new. Um, if you want to fill out a new here card, there is a gift waiting for you at the Information Center, so bring that at the end of service, and we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Also, today happening at 4 o'clock is Awana and Youth, so for those of you who we see on a regular basis, we hope to see you there, and for those of you who might be thinking about it, you come and join us as well. Coming up soon is Operation Christmas Child, so we we will have our packing day On November 12th, directly after service, we'll go up to the Fellowship Hall and pack boxes together. So I hope that's already on your calendar. Um, Next week when you come, there will be boxes out here as well in the cafe. There's already a table, so it gets in your brain. Next week, if you want to grab a box to do one on your own, you can do that as well. We are doing something a little bit new for November. We are having a canned food drive for the food pantry. Um, Pat has shared that sometimes it's hard to specifically get canned vegetables from the place that um, they get their food from. So if you would be willing to donate, anything, but specifically canned vegetables, the food pantry could really use them. So um, in November, there will be a place right by the information center as well for those um, to bring them throughout the month, and those will be brought up to the food pantry, and they thank you in advance um, for doing that for them. Also, another exciting Sunday coming up on the 19th of November is a Baptism Sunday. If you are interested in doing that, you can attend one of those two classes and make sure you sign up. Um, You can scan the QR code in the bulletin. You can email office at faithdiscovery.com, and you will get the information you need. So if you have not, if you're a believer who has not been baptized, now's your chance. So take that step um, and do that together, and we will celebrate with you. And finally, um, not finally, one more thing, Sister Strong is happening this Friday. So uh, for our women's group, we will be meeting at 7 o'clock in the cafe. Please come and join us. Each week is a new um, woman woman talking about um, a woman in the Bible. So if you missed last time, doesn't matter. It's all new this week. So come and join us um, in the cafe at 7 o'clock. Okay, and now finally, um, two weeks ago, we talked to you, Pastor Jason talked to you about um, our fund drive for the vault. Um, We're operating at a bit of a deficit, and so we asked you if there could be 20 families that could give $10 a week or $40 a month to meet that need. So we would like to say that there are 19 families um, who made that at least that commitment. So thank you. There is one more tag on the board over there. Um, So if you are willing um, to help us meet that need, There's one more tag that you can take, and you don't even need to take the tag. That's just a reminder for you. You can scan the QR code in your bulletin, set up a recurring gift um, to help the vault in downtown Washington. Um, That is a ministry to our community that started here at our church um, maybe 12 years years ago, maybe now, um, about and and has been going strong and really helps to reach out to the teens in Washington. So if you can – If you've already been a giver and you would like to expand your gift, if this is a new thing for you and like to start doing that, Um, the need we are asking for is the minimum um to to meet our needs so we would love for you to be part of that to be part of that ministry but thank you so much to all of you who just graciously um met that need right from our first ask so on behalf of brian and his team and on behalf of the leadership team we thank you for your faithfulness um, we thank you for all the ways that you give for all the ways that you support that you pray for us um that means a lot for our ministries, for all of us who lead them, and for those of you who prayerfully benefit from them as well. So thank you. Um, Those are good things. So these are good things to be a part of and good things to celebrate together. Let's stand again as we worship.
1: As we continue to worship, as we continue to rejoice, Song and declaration is nothing worth more that will ever be close. Nothing can compare to you, to our living hope. Our living hope.
0: thing we can experience today is your presence. It's good to see each other. It's important for us to see each other. It's important for us to encourage each other but it's more important. It's most important that we experience and, and sense your presence. And so God as we are here, I pray that you'd be honored by what we say, what we do. That we would prioritize your presence. That we would be obedient to your spirit. And that we would glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to Kids Church. And thank you all for being here. While the kids are going, check this out. thank you so much for being here. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it's an honor that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. Now, that's if you're new, you've never heard that before. But if you're here each week, you've heard me say that each week. Some of you have worked out impressions of me saying, uh, introducing myself each week, but that's okay. If you want to join along with me when I say that speech, you're welcome to. I don't care. I know some of you find it funny that i introduce myself every week but for some people church is new and so uh we if you're new we welcome you we're honored that you've chosen to spend a little bit with us and i hope you are inspired by what i'm about to speak and share but i'm only but for the next give me 90 seconds we're going to have family talk um i want to thank you who are thank you who are part of this church for your generosity uh, Laura got up and she talked about some of the things that are happening. Um, and and you have have been historically, I've heard stories. You have been recently, I've experienced it. Um, and you continue to be generous when needs come up. And we live in a broken world. We live in a, a, a world that's that's dealing with economic issues and and uh, wartime issues. There are people who are struggling, and we as a church want to be a light in our community. And so. Uh, we want to be able to serve people in a number of different ways. Well, our team, our, our food pantry team had a rummage sale a couple weeks ago. They raised, uh, they sold $1,100 worth of stuff. And when I tell you it was stuff, there was stuff. But, uh, but some pe- one person's stuff, that's the word we're going to use today is another person's treasure and so a lot of people found treasures at the rummage sale and um but we, we we've had the rummage sale we've had we're having a food drive that we talked about we've we've had the vault and we've asked you to help us continue to fund and and allow the vault to be open to reach the teens of our community we i grew up in church my dad was a pastor I know all of the reputations that churches have about how much they ask for your money. And I'm incredibly uncomfortable talking about money. I hate to ask. It makes me feel awkward. Every time we have an ask, I feel like, oh boy, here we go again. But I want to thank you for your generosity. But I want to tell you there's more asks coming. Just to be honest, it's uncomfortable. I get it. But as your pastor, I have a responsibility to lead us in stewardship. And as a community, there's a lot of people in need. And we get and we have an opportunity. In fact, there's some people in this room this morning who are in need, and we're here to serve you and help you and walk beside you through those needs. And then there's others of us who have a spiritual have spiritual gifts. There's all kinds of spiritual gifts in the church. And some of them are uh some of (coughs) excuse me, some of I'm gonna get passionate about this for you for a second. There goes my ninety seconds, just ran past it. Some of us some of you have a spiritual gift of giving. And God has blessed you, and as your pastor, I want to encourage you to walk, to, to steward those blessings in a way that honors him. Because he's blessed you to be a blessing. And he blesses us to be a blessing. And for, for some of us, he's blessed financially, and we get a chance to, uh, most of this happens, most of this happens at our church anonymously. But I want to just thank you as your pastor. But I want to encourage you as your pastor, as, as we, as we, as we enter into this next season and this, uh, as we come into the cold weather and we have people who ask for, for help and those kinds of things and food and heating and all of the things that people ask for and we try to help people walk through those needs. Um, I want to encourage you to continue to be generous in your giving. And this is off the cuff. This is really honestly, I felt like the Lord Encourage me to say this. As your pastor, I feel uncomfortable talking about money. But as your pastor, I have a responsibility to lead us in stewardship. And God has blessed us immensely. And so we need to be cognizant and intentional about being a blessing with the things God has blessed us with. And we'll continue to do that. I won't apologize. Well, I probably will apologize, but I shouldn't apologize for talking about it. Um, uh, this is my own th- issue that I have to work through. But that's aside. That's a Let's move on. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. On to better news. Let's talk about suffering. Um, there you go. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm still working through this, this cold. If you could pray for me this week, I've, I feel a lot better. But it's been five or six weeks of dealing with this stuff, and um, so if I cough this morning, I'm going to take a drink of water. Please bear with me; we'll get through it as um, as best we can. Last week I started a new series. We began talking about a topic that I hope has led to some thoughts, uh, has has caused some curiosity, was has caused some conversations, and, and might have even has caused you to have some questions about why does God allow suffering? I, I have a friend who uh, uh, is a, uh, lives in Massachusetts, and, and sometimes, I know none of you have friends like this, but sometimes his social media presence makes me uncomfortable. I know none of you know anybody whose social media presence makes you uncomfortable. But there are times where that can happen. And uh, he was in a debate this week, and he said something I totally disagree with, which part of the reason it makes me feel comfortable. But it was really about the topic of does why does God allow suffering? And it's a topic, it's a question that I think if, if for any of us who've followed Jesus for any amount of time and walked through life, we've, we've wrestled with, we've asked, we've had conversations with people who say, I can't, I, I can't buy into a God who allows people to suffer in this world. And those are interesting points of view. They're interesting questions. They're real. People are on, being honest. That's a, when somebody says that to you, understand that's a gift that they've given you. They value you enough to be honest to you. But the reality is sometimes when we're in those conversations and somebody says that to us, we don't have the answer. We feel a responsibility to, like, defend God. We've, and we feel like... I, If I don't have the right answer here, this person will never give their heart to Jesus and it's all my fault. And I want to tell you, it's not, that's not what this is about. You don't have to have every answer to every question that anybody has about God, about Jesus, about topics that they're dealing with, about why things happen to them. The most, the most Jesus thing you could be to that person is there. You don't have to have the answer to everybody's question, but sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. So this morning I want to talk about uh, suffering, and we're going to get into some of the traps that suffering uh, tries to ensnare us with. Uh, and then we'll, t- uh, we'll do this over the next couple of weeks uh, next week, we will pause it. We have, a, we have a, a missionary next week. Lexi Bishop is with us, and, and uh, she's from here, um, And although she's not from here anymore. But she's going to be with us next week and sharing. And let me tell you something. She's not here so I can talk about her. Lexi's got game. Like... In the, in the mission circles in the Assemblies of God, the more people I talk to, like, her name keeps coming up. Like, David's uncomfortable right now because it's David's daughter. Um, David's the one who played the piano this morning. But she's, like, well-known in circles, and she's developing a real reputation as someone to follow. And so it's a gift for us next Sunday that she's going to be with us. But... In the Sundays after that, we'll come back to this topic of some of the things that ensnare us. But when we think about suffering and we think about the Bible, it doesn't take too long for us to get to the person of Job and the conversation of Job. And so this morning we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. I'm going to try to go slow because when I read Scripture, I read fast. But we'll walk through this and then we'll talk about um, some of the things that, that suffering tries to catch us with, and then we'll talk about, conversely, what God offers us through this topic. So let's, uh, let's begin at, at, in Job chapter 1. We'll start at verse 1. <coughs> excuse, excuse me. In the land of Uz, not Oz, but Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. First paragraph of Job presents to us a man who's living a good life. We read that, and we read all of the possessions that he has, and the servants that he has, and we see that this is a man who's got stuff. He's living a blessed life, if you will. But the most thing that would have uh, uh, that would have been uh, considered a blessing in their time was he had all those children. Heirs were a blessing. So stuff was nice, but heirs were a blessing. And so this man has everything you would want. He's the greatest man in the East. It says what they're saying is this guy's got it made. Job is who you want to be in the first paragraph of Job. Be careful what you wish for. He's living the American dream before America was even a thought. Starting at verse 4. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. And so, what's that tell you? Job, in spite of... Even he was aware of how he was blessed. And his kids were partiers. And so as a, as a way to like make sure they didn't do anything wrong, he took care of their sacrifices for him because he wanted to honor God so much. He was honoring God for his kids. He was aware of his blessings. He had a relationship with God. That's what we, He's wealthy. That's what we find in the first two, uh, first two paragraphs of Job. Six, verse six one day the angels one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well. Then everything has, he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We'll stop there and pause. Sometimes things, and some of you have been around a while, you hear me say this. Sometimes we read things and it's in the Bible, so we just accept it. This is a very peculiar passage of Scripture. Because if we're not careful, if we don't read the context here, we could start to think, God and Satan are playing some kind of weird sadistic game with this person. That's not the point of what's happening here. But we read here, we read elsewhere in Scripture, that Satan is not opposed to challenging God to do certain things. In Jesus' experience in the wilderness, he gets tempted, the Scriptures tell us, by Satan. And so, Jesus is God. Satan comes and tries to tempt him, tries to spin a web for him to fall into. This happens. I know this sounds weird. just does, at least to me. Let's go back to, uh, let start at verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, because they're partiers, that part's not in there, but I said it, a message came to Job and, he, and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The Shaldans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. Then they put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Then while he was speaking, this is not a good day for Job. Yet enough, the messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will deport. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In case you're unfamiliar with the story of Job, here's a brief synopsis, and some of this we've covered in chapter 1, but it goes further. Job's a wealthy man, he has a large family, he has extensive possessions, he's blameless and upright, and always careful about avoiding evil, and, um, and then there's, because of him, Satan and God have this conversation. And Satan challenges God that if given permission to punish the man, Job would turn and curse God. And while God allows Satan to torment Job, to test the claim, he forbids him to take his life. He can't touch him. This gives you a little, as an aside, this gives us a little insight into our enemy. Satan is not subtle. One might think he might plan this out over a series of time and let the dominoes fall and may each one get harder and harder and harder. But no, Satan does it in one day. The Bible says that the the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is out to get us as quickly and as drastically as he can get us. So he attacks Job in four ways in one day. Uh, In the course of one day, Job receives four messages, each bearing separate news that his livestock, his servants, his children, all have all died, (coughs) excuse me, or have been taken through marauding invaders or natural consequences. And at this, Job, like, as we read, tears his clothes and shaves his head, but he still blesses God in his prayers. We're not going to read, you know, time to read the whole book of Job, but it goes on, Satan again appears in heaven, and God grants him another chance to test Job. This time, he inflicts Job with terrible skin sores. And this time, his, it's his wife who encourages him, to curse God, and to give up, and to die. But Job refuses, even all the while struggling to accept his circumstances. See, Job, his wife, his friends, they were all aware of his struggles, his trials, his suffering. It's not their understanding of his suffering that was different than his. He knew just like they knew all that had happened. But it was his perspective on the situation that was different from him to his wife and his friends. It is Suffering presents to us the problems, but it also presents the struggle of how to deal with them. And so today I want to explore a few of the traps that I think suffering in they, uh, tries to entice us or ensnare us with. The first trap that suffering ensnares us with, I would call the awareness trap. You and I, we, we not by nature, we think. We wonder, we desire, we feel, we ponder, we dream, we interpret, we perceive, we crave, we project. We have a lot of stuff going on in our minds. Sociologists will tell us that most communication that takes place is nonverbal. That only works, that only makes sense if we really begin to remember how much is going on in our head when we're talking to somebody. We are, by nature, thinkers. We're trying to figure out. We're trying to solve the puzzle. I don't get puzzles. Some people, Chris loves puzzles. Some people can put a puzzle on the thing, and they just start going about working it. I like puzzles that have big pieces. That I can be done in, like, three minutes. Yes! Yes! The reality is our minds are like those 10,000 piece puzzles. There's so much going on and we're trying to put it all together. That's, we live out of our hearts and our, our heads and our, and our heads and our hearts are an ever flowing fountain of interactivity. We never leave our lives alone. We bring a rich, multifaceted inner world of thoughts and desires and emotions to everything we experience. Nothing that we, uh, nothing that we experience happens on its own is isolated, because all of the things that we've experienced prior in life influence how we perceive what is happening in the moment. We push everything in our lives through our conceptual, emotional, and spiritual grid. Our CES grid, if you will. Our history determines how we consider our present and our future. And whether you're conscious of it or not, you bring your particular CES grid to everything in your life. And that means you're not just shaped by your experiences, but you're, you give shape to those experiences as well. You and I are never just influenced by what we suffer, but our CES grid, our our con- conceptual, our emotional, and our spiritual grid influences the way we suffer. And that's why this morning I propose that suffering is spiritual warfare. You didn't do anything wrong because you're going through something that you're suffering. Although sometimes we're the cause of it. You're not a bad person because you have to deal with spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare exists. And how we perceive what we're going through, especially in times of trouble, is spiritual warfare. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Suffering is never just a matter of the body. It's also a matter of the heart. It's never just an assault on our situation, but it's an attack on our soul. Suffering takes us to the borders of our faith. It leads us to think about questions we've never thought before, and maybe even questions we thought were settled in our hearts. To many of us, We become, to many of us, our focus is the suffering itself. But too many of us become so focused on the suffering, uh, on the idea of what's going on, the cause of our sufferings, that we forget what's going on in our hearts. We forget about the battle of our hearts. We do not, we're... Suffering yanks profound questions and, and cravings out of us. It forces us to examine and consider things in a new way or maybe the first time. And if we're not aware of all that that's going on, we, are, we can quickly become ensnared in focusing on what's happening instead of what's happening in here. We must be aware that suffering is a deeply theological and profoundly spiritual experience. It tends to assault deeply held beliefs and strengthens long held doubts. How quickly our doubts become real to us when we face situations that are uncomfortable don't want to equate uncomfortable situations to suffering and i do not want to minimize suffering some of you have gone through situations and experiences that are soul crushing and this isn't meant to minimize that there's another element we must re- recognize like everything else in our lives the bible doesn't make suffering just about us. See, suffering always involves other elements, entities. For Job, we talked about his wife, his friends, his circle. And in our lives, other elements of our lives are just affected by it. When we're going through rough times, when we're suffering, our circle knows it. <coughs> Excuse me, is affected by it. Some of your circle has all the answers to fix your suffering, or at least that's the way they talk to you. Some of our circle has all the answers as to why we're suffering. And some of our circle is so afraid that we'll get it wrong, that we don't say anything, and and you can feel like we're not there at all. The Bible... Doesn't make suffering just about us. We are not isolated individuals. We are not isolated into the individuals try, trying to make sense of and cope with life on our own. In fact, we're never on our own with anything. We suffer as creatures of God, and we suffer as subjects of God's sovereign rule. When I prepare a message, um, sometimes I prepare messages or series out of my own experience or out of uh, my own studies or something that um, came alive to me as I was reading or, or doing something. Sometimes it's out of a paper that I'm researching. or And sometimes I need help. And so this this series on suffering, I, I've needed help. And particularly I've found help from two other pastors who have experienced severe suffering in their lives. And they've been, re, it's been really helpful to read their books and know, um, how to talk about this practically and experientially and not just theoretically. Because we don't, theor, theorists, uh, we don't th- theoretically experience suffering. We experience suffering. And the theories that we subscribe to get really tested when we experience suffering. And so... Um, Tim Keller, who some of you have heard of, he passed away this year from his struggle with cancer. He wrote a book on suffering. And there's another pastor by the name of Paul David Tripp. He wrote a book called Suffering about his own experience. And a lot of what I'm learning and talking about through this series is taken from Scripture, and it's taken from their experiences and their way to communicate it so that we can all be beneficial. And it's important for me to say that because I don't want to pretend I made it all up myself. Credit where credit's due. But listening to these two men talk about fear, uh, suffering, as a as a subject of God's sovereign rule, really stretches my faith. It means that God is inextricably connected and. And intimately involved in our suffering. And like everything else we face, it happens under his sovereign rule, and it happens in the middle of his redemptive plan. But it doesn't always work out the way we want it to work out. That's hard for us to figure out. The sense... Here's an important point. The sense you make out of God's purpose in or distance from your suffering and the conclusion you make about his care and his ability or lack thereof to help will have a huge influence on your suffering. How you view God in it will, will be a major player in how you view it. Just from what I talked about earlier, Job's wife says, commit suicide, die. Job says, this is really difficult for me, but I will worship God and I will not deface him. How you view God in your place will determine how you view how to handle your place. Now, we all want to deal with a God who just will fix it but that's not the case all the time. We must be aware that of the true depth of suffering and how it affects us holistically, how our suffering affects our physical, our emotional, our relational and our spiritual walks. Cuz it's never about just the thing we're dealing with. It's about the thing we're dealing with plus how the thing we're dealing with is affecting everything else. We must be aware of that. The next trap I want to discuss is the fear trap. Suffering can ensnare us in the fear trap. Suffering of whatever kind and whatever may come your way brings a focused awareness that is part of the burden that every sufferer bears. It causes us to notice what once would have gone outside of our attention and to carry concerns we've never cared about before. This new awareness becomes fertile soil for a new set of fears that have the power to shape the way we interpret and live our lives. Suffering tends to kidnap our thoughts. And in doing so is a, has a powerful effect on our emotions and our responses. The power of what one is suffering to control their meditation is a spiritual issue for every sufferer. What controls our meditations will control our thoughts. About God, about ourselves, about others, about our situation, and even the nature of life itself. And as you meditate on what you're suffering, your joy wanes, your hope fades, and God seems increasingly distant. Anybody been there? The more we think about it, the bigger it becomes and the smaller God becomes. But the truth is, God hasn't changed. The truth, His truth is still true. And what you're facing hasn't grown bigger. But it all seems bigger and darker and more impossible. Our suffering... And what we suffer has the potential to replace God and his truth through the lens at which we look and understand life. When that happens, we become more and more afraid of that and less and less secure in God's ability to be over that. What we fear will be Directly influenced by where we focus the thoughts of our heart. The deeper we get into our suffering, this is a practical truth. The deeper we get and the more we think about our suffering, the the less we think about the prayer that we hear from Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My rock and my redeemer. The more we start to think about what we're suffering from, the less we're concerned with what our thoughts are before the Lord, the less we're aware that He's our rock and our redeemer. And our fear grows, and our loneliness grows. Thankfully, there's hope. Suffering entices us. It ensnares us with traps. But God combats that and offers us comforts in our suffering. So we only have time to talk about one of the comforts today. And, but last week we talked about the comfort of knowing that Jesus experienced massive suffering. And to know that we have a God who doesn't just theoreticize what we go through, but has gone through everything we could go through. And so when we, when we say God is with us, it takes, it's a comfort to know that He knows what it's like to go through what we're going through. Today I want to talk about the comfort of God's grace. In the midst of all of our trials, all of our travails, and all the traps that we have to deal with from suffering, (coughs) excuse me, it is important. And this needs to be intentional. For some of us, this needs to be a post-it on our mirror in the bathroom where we get ready each morning. Because it's got to remind us. We have to be intentional about reminding ourselves of these truths. Because all day long we're we're reminded of the things that seem to be true. And so we need to be intentional about focusing on the things that we know are actually true. It's very important that we remember who we are and what we've been given. We must fight to remember that our true identity is not as a sufferer, but is as a child of God. That there is something, there's something inside of each one of us who've come to faith in Jesus that nothing and no one can steal from us. We have to allow ourselves to be defined not by our suffering, but by our God-given identity. It doesn't make the suffering easier. But it doesn't let the suffering win. It's important because what we identify ourselves as, what we... determines three things about ourselves. First, what we identify as determines our expectations, it determines our potential, and it determines our actions. In Romans 8, and we don't have time to read it, so just allow my summation to, to take you through, and then read it this week. Paul describes the stunningly encouraging comfort of God's amazing grace like this. First, God's grace is an uncomfortable grace. It meets us in in uncomfortable moments and in uncomfortable ways. None of the things that we suffer has the power to stand in the way of the amazing grace that God provides. Paul describes it as an intervening grace. You see, in our most confused and emotional moments, when we feel the farthest away and most alone, we are far from alone. Get that? When we feel like we're farthest away and alone, we are far from alone. Because God blesses us with an intervening grace. At that very moment of aloneness and groaning, the Spirit is representing us and our needs to the Father. God knows what we're going through and is not so unkind as to reject the messy, chaotic, emotional prayers offered in our moment of need. Some of the most spiritual prayers you'll ever pray in your life are things like this. God, help! And in the middle of you and the Father is the Spirit saying all the things you didn't say because of his intervening grace. And then Paul goes on and he describes God's grace as unstoppable. He describes it as providing. He describes it as inseparable. You are not defined by what you suffer. We must work so that what we are suffering doesn't become our identity. The things that we suffer, the things that you suffer, let me be very honest, very straightforward, and very direct. The things that you suffer are powerful, they're difficult, they're, they're life-draining experiences, but they do not define you. You are God's child. You carry the full meaning of that identity with you no matter how hard life is and no matter how weak you feel. Your identity in Christ is not the result of your circumstances. It's also not the result of your achievements. It's a gift of God's grace. You didn't earn it. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. Embedded in your identity as a child of God are wonderful comforts. Just the kind of comforts that every sufferer needs and longs for. When David, the Bible teaches us a lot about David. He gets talked about a lot. When he was a shepherd boy... He was incredibly anointed as the next king. Against all odds, he's chosen to be the next king. That's what God has called him to be. And in the time between he's chosen, when he's chosen to be the next king, and he becomes the next king, his life gets very chaotic. He goes to work in Saul's presence, the guy he's going to replace, and Saul starts to want to murder him, throws spears at him. And so David has to run and he lives in caves and he's anything but what you would think the next king is going to experience. When we embrace our God-given identity, there are times we experience everything but we think what our God-given identity as a prince or princess in God's kingdom should look like. But David's not defined by what happened when he was anointed he's not defined by what happened when he experienced the trials in the middle when we talk about David today we talk about King David he's defined by what God called him to be God called you to be his image bearer his child that's what we identify with but in the middle in the moment, we've got to be intentional about remembering that it ain't easy. But the gr- the comfort of his grace helps us walk through. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your grace never ends. But God, there are people in, in this room today and watching us online who are completely aware of their battle and it seems so big they just can't see you anywhere god i pray for your inseparable amazing encouraging grace to invade those situations help us to know who we are in you your name we pray I'm going to invite our elders to come forward. We share communion at the end of each week. If you're new with us, you are certainly invited to join us. What we do is we invite you to come forward, receive the elements from our, uh, from our elder, and then return back to your seat. I invite you to stand and come forward. And if you're new, you can follow, go to the middle aisle that's closest to you and come forward. If you're not able to get here, we will have someone bring them to you. If you don't want to participate, that's okay too. scripture teaches us that on the night jesus was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said this bread is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me would you pray with me jesus this bread You allowed your body to be so broken. You suffered so immensely that night. Thank you for doing that for me, for us, for your church. And did you take the bread? goes on to say the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, in, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus, we proclaim your death, but we thank you we can also claim your life. We thank you that you faced, endured, dealt with the suffering and came out victorious on the other side. And we know because of your grace that although we will have to endure, deal with and struggle through the suffering, we'll share in your victory on the other side. Thank you, Jesus. Would you drink with me? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may the comfort of God's amazing grace rest on you as you walk through your week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.